Hello and welcome to 15 Days of Festive Fear, day number 13. And I have four spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 18th of February, 2021. And story number one comes from Ellen. I'll start by saying that I'm not sure if what my friends and I experienced was in fact paranormal. Although I will say that the fear and confusion we felt was very real. A few years ago, my high school best friends and I decided we all needed to get together and get away. Luckily, I have a family-owned cabin about a two-hour drive north of where we all grew up. At the time, we were about 22 or 23 years old, so we were all in different cities doing different things. Jess and Shauna were both in college in different cities, and David was in the process of moving in with his boyfriend. I was still living at home because my dad had passed away from a heart attack about a year earlier and I was helping out my mom and working two jobs. We were very close in every way except geographically. So when we had the chance to take a couple of days off at the same time we took it. Which for this story happened to be spring break. We live in the northern midwest of USA so our spring break was almost always involving snow especially since my cabin is even further north than where we grew up. You get the picture. We knew there would be cold and snow, but we didn't care. We just wanted to get drunk together, catch up, and have a good spring break. The cabin is pretty secluded. We have neighbours visibly close enough, except this time of year due to the winter weather, hardly anyone was there because our road was more or less just a long stretch of summer homes and vacation rentals. Maybe one or two people lived there year-round, but they weren't close. The cabin was a small, one-storey structure. It wasn't big by any means, but it has always felt like a sanctuary for me, and I've been going up there a couple of times a year ever since I can remember. It's set between a great lake and a few hundred acres of forest, so like I said, secluded. No streetlights, poor cell phone reception, no Wi-Fi, no TV, etc., We finally got to the cabin and I decided to take up my little dog Jippy because he was a good boy and was going stir crazy staying inside all winter. As you can imagine, there's about two feet of snow and the temperature was barely in double digits. It took a while for my cabin to warm up so we cranked the heat up, bundled Jippy up into a burrito of blankets and went into town to grab some groceries and let it heat up. As the night carried on, the cabin was getting nice and toasty and so are we. We were finally together, finally letting loose, finally right where we wanted to be. We had a crackling fire going, music bumping and little Jip snoozing in his burrito. We were playing some silly game like Cards Against Humanity, making our drinks a little too strong and getting on an ab workout from all the laughs. It was probably about 9pm and pitch black outside but we barely noticed. Until Jess, who was grabbing something from the kitchen let out a loud shriek and screamed, What the fuck was that? Our response was to say something like, Yeah, nice try, and roll our eyes. But she was still visibly freaked out. Did nobody else see that? She asked. David told her to stop because she wasn't fooling anyone, but she wasn't letting up. You guys, I swear I just saw... And she trailed off. My friend Shauna asked her what she saw, and she said she didn't know. We were all still very sceptical, but becoming more intrigued, asking her to try and explain what she saw, sitting her down because she was ready to have a panic attack. I told her it didn't have to make sense, just try and explain it. And she drank some water, took a few deep breaths and said, I swear on my life I saw a person walking outside, from there to there, 
She pointed to the side window, to the front window and door. We didn't want to believe it because there were very few people up there to begin with. And someone walking around the property late at night sounded like the perfect recipe for a slasher movie scenario. Shauna was the designated mom of the group and she began to justify it by saying, well, it could be some old guy who got lost and thought this was his house or maybe an animal or maybe your eyes are just playing tricks on you. Are you sure you saw a person? What did it look like? Jess explained that she only saw a glimpse, but she was sure it was in the shape of a person. A tall, thin, but muscular person. She was pretty sure it was a man, and it looked like he had shiny hair. Or it was just the moon, she wasn't sure. She also said it seemed more like he was gliding rather than walking. David and I were the wimps of the group, and we began to panic. I'm a firm believer in the paranormal and just a general horror movie fan, and I'm very superstitious. And David was just a wimp. Shauna really started to put her foot down with Jess. You better not be joking because now you've got them all worked up too. Seriously, if this is a joke, you have to stop it now. It's not funny. Jess promised she was telling the truth. Then her and Shauna began to check the locks and shut the blinds and we all got our warm clothes and grabbed our wallets and phones in case we needed to make a run for it. We weren't quite sure what to do. It had been around 30 minutes from the sighting and we hadn't seen or heard anything since. We left some shades open to keep a lookout. And may I add, by this time we had all sobered up 110%. We sat back in our seats at the dining room table and tried to come up with things that it might have been convincing ourselves that it was just a harmless, elderly, nosy neighbour. Jess finally seemed satisfied with that conclusion, so we figured we would just carry on with our night, no harm done. We were finally starting to relax, and the night was carrying on like before. Until Shauna yelled at the top of her lungs that she had seen him, she had just seen the guy. She pointed in the same place that Jess did not even an hour before, as Jippy began barking at the front door. I felt my heart sink. I thought for sure we were done with this. She verified that the hair looked shiny, like it was glowing, and that he was tall and moved really smoothly, like he was gliding. David and I were about ready to wet ourselves and Jess swung into action. She was frantically barking orders, pacing and grabbing things for self-defence. That didn't really make us feel any better and Jippy wouldn't shut the fuck up. After I finally got him and Jess to settle down, Shauna spoke again, saying that she thought we needed to go outside. To which she received a unanimous hell no. She argued that we needed to look for footprints. Then at least we would know for sure if there was really a person out there and if we really needed to call the police. It was a terrible plan, but it was all we had. If there were footprints, then we were dealing with a possible murderer, and if not, then it was a possible paranormal entity and I'm not sure which was worse. Either way, we had to know. Shauna had the fanciest car, an SUV with a self-start feature, which she used to shine her brights on the front of the cabin. We then had to decide who had to go outside, and after a couple of rounds of rock-paper-scissors, it ended up being Shauna and David as the unlucky losers. Shauna went out armed with a fireplace poker and David with a flashlight. Jess and I waited inside for what seemed like hours. Jess watching the front and me watching the back, and Jippy completely zonked once again. Finally, a quiet knock at the front door. Shauna and David rushed in and reported that they saw no footprints in the snow. None on the side, 
and the only ones in the front belonged to us. The snow was deep enough that even if the footprints would have been covered up, it would have been noticeably disturbed. The snow they saw was flat and untouched. None of us had a clue what to do next. Jess and Shauna were still trying to come to terms with the fact that they may have just seen a ghost. It was then that Jess started to tear up, from what I thought was sheer terror, but instead she smiled. I asked her how she could possibly find this funny or positive, but she answered my question with a question. Who else do you know that has silver hair instead of grey? I was confused. Why was she asking me this and why did it matter? Your dad, she answered. I gasped and suddenly felt at ease. My dad's hair was very light grey so that it used to look silver. My mom even used to call him her silver fox. Shauna and David silently sat with their jaws on the floor and I started to cry with Jess. It made sense. I would always see him pass the side windows to come in through the front door when the rest of us finally woke up because he was always awake early and would go outside so he didn't make too much noise. He also just loved the outdoors in general. It made sense because we were up there alone and he was always such a worrywart about us being safe, so he must have been there to keep an eye on us. As we were all sitting there overwhelmed with emotions, the lamp by the front door faintly blinked on and off three distinct times. I was the only one who seemed to have seen it, so I kept it to myself. A part of me wishes I would have seen him walk by, but he was only ever seen those two times by Jess and Shona. They were both very close to me when he passed away, and they helped me through so much. I'm sure they don't even realise it. I think it was his way of saying thank you and he is still there. We ended up having a really fun rest of the night and weekend, and I'm so lucky to have friends like them. The last thing I will say is, and I've never told this to them, but that night I had a vivid dream of him that I somehow knew was a memory. We were walking downtown and I was just a little tiny thing, maybe four or five, and we were holding hands. He gently squeezed my hand three times and looked down at me and said, whenever I do that, it means I love you. All of you guys are killing me with your gorgeous stories of loved ones coming back to make sure that you're okay. How sweet is that? And the blinking of the lamp three times to say, I love you. Oh, stop it. That's adorable. I thought that story was going to go somewhere very different. I thought we were going to have a serial killer, murdery. Oh my word, was that actually a person in the forest being mistaken for something paranormal? Was somebody staking out your property? No. A story with a very happy ending. And I'm very pleased you sent it in. Thank you. All of these stories as well that get sent in about people with cabins in the middle of nowhere kind of makes me want to go live in a cabin somewhere. Without the ghosts, without the, the scary part of it, or the murderers in the woods. But all of these stories about cabins make me want to go and live this like rustic rural life. Even though I know I would not be cut out for it and I would find it very difficult. But it just, that's, that's what it makes me want to do. And story number two comes from Anonymous. I'm in my mid-40s now and a father. This spooky incident happened in the later 1980s and remains one weird thing our whole family experienced and each one of us can bear witness to. We were not an overly devout family, but we had our beliefs and knees when something wasn't right. Our primary school was built in the 1960s, on the site of the old brickyards that produced the building materials with which much of industrial Belfast was built. We had grown up hearing all sorts of ghost stories about the area, from homeless men being burned to death after being trapped inside the brick kilns, 
a local Protestant landowner from the 19th century who haunts a number of buildings because his lands are now inhabited by Roman Catholics. There are also stories of shadow spirits, one of which myself and my brothers witnessed in the school grounds late one summer evening from our bedroom which overlooked it, but that one can wait. We would have been 10 or 11 years old at this time. As kids, we loved all things scary, and when we discovered the book, we jumped at the opportunity to take it out. I've never been able to trace this book again, but it had a very memorable cover, which depicted a ghostly old bearded man, chained hands raised, and a weird picture of a dog on an operating table on the back. That's all I can remember. So if anyone knows of such a book, please let me have the details. We booked it out of the school library on a Friday afternoon, took it home and flicked through its pages, reading the stories, examining the accompanying photos and illustrations. We probably left the book somewhere downstairs and went to bed. But it was the things that happened in the living room late on the Friday evening, early Saturday morning, that would cause a little bit of trouble in our happy home. When my brother and I got up on the Saturday morning, we discovered a mess of broken ornaments on the tiled hearth. At first we thought our house had been broken into. Frightened by the mess and unable to explain it, we woke our parents and informed them, lest they accuse us of causing the damage. My parents followed us down, unhappy that they had been awoken. When they asked us what had happened to the crystal cut glass animals, we reminded our parents that they were home after we were already well in bed. On closer examination, my mother realised that the broken, fragile ornaments were on the opposite sides of the hearth from their original positions up on the mantel, so they had not simply fallen onto the hearth and broken as a result of a draught or something being thrown at them. Something had caused them to move diagonally off the mantel, but with just enough force so that the broken pieces remained on the hearth and had not scattered onto the mat or the carpet. And had there been any real force the glass pieces would have shown more signs of forced trauma, such as internal cracks. Only limbs, ears and noses had been damaged. Then a Greek vase and a plate, which an aunt had brought back as a gift from a recent holiday, were discovered in the far corner of the living room. The vase was broken at the neck. The plate was next to it cracked in half. They had both originally sat in the centre of the mantel. Once everything was tidied and the pieces returned to the mantel, In those days, anything that was not too badly destroyed was repaired. My parents put it down to a poltergeist, and the only explanation they believed was the introduction into our home of the ghost story book. So the book was banished to the shed and returned to school the following Monday. That week, some missionary priests were going around the parish doing the rounds collecting donations. My mother struck up a conversation and asked one of them to bless our house without going into any detail. He obliged, accepting a small donation and moved on to our neighbours. And after that, nothing happened. I believe this is perhaps one of the most physical things we'd witnessed, with the movement of objects in our home. The thing is, we had two dogs, and neither of them reacted. Imagine if it had been a burglar. If these things had fallen from the mantelpiece, in like a traditional way, like you said, like they had slipped off or a draft or something had fallen on them and caused them to fall. Surely somebody in the house would wake up. There were clearly four people in the house, you and your brother and your parents, and nobody woke up to these items being dropped on the floor and other items breaking. I, I do love the uh, the immediate assumption that A, it was a poltergeist and B, it was because of the book. I'm dying to know what that book is too. 
if anybody's listening to this and they know what the book is so just to remind you the book had a picture on the front of a scary old man with a beard I think it was and there was also yeah bearded man chained hand hands raised and then a picture of a dog on an operating table on the back that sounds weirdly familiar to me if you know what that book is please let me know because I would like to read it preferably not be haunted by it but I would like to read it and story number three comes from Ryan my mom's side of the family has always been more spiritual my aunt has dreams that come true my grandmother records orbs and voices in her home on a weekly basis and we all have a tendency to pick up on certain things even if we don't realize what it is right away my mom passed away when i was young so my dad and i lived together in a tiny little two-bedroom one-bathroom home in the city around the age of eight i noticed that something about the house my dad and i lived in together made me feel really uncomfortable my dad's bedroom directly across the hall from mine made me feel sick to my stomach when i looked at it or passed by it the feeling only intensified when the door was open Unsure of what I was feeling and why, I said nothing to my dad and tried to ignore the feeling. As the years passed, there was never really anything unexplainable. I experienced sleep paralysis twice, thinking once that I saw a shadow figure, though after mustering my bravery I managed to stare into the darkness until my eyes adjusted to reveal absolutely nothing, and a few times in broad daylight when I was in another part of the house, separated by several walls, It would sound like there was someone walking around behind my dad's closed door when I knew he was at work. Several times I would go to my room to get something and it would have just vanished. The most memorable experience was when I went to get a video game which was organised with all the other console games only to find it missing. I tore my room apart and then put it back together looking for that damn game before finally giving up and leaving to go to my friend's house. Four hours later... When I got home and I went to my room, the game was sitting on my bed. I'm 22 now, but three years ago after moving into an apartment on my own, I finally found the words to tell my dad how I felt about his room. His expression was a mix between concern and surprise, but after thinking for a minute, he took a breath and told me what our elderly neighbour had told him when we first moved into that house all those years ago. The previous owner had killed herself inside our house. My dad claims he isn't sure of where, but the look on his face at the time suggested to me that even if he wasn't told as much, he does know. At least, now he does. Two months ago, my dad called me on a Saturday. He was home alone and had been shaving in the bathroom. In the reflection of the bathroom mirror, his closed bedroom door was visible, and he happened to be looking up when he saw the door slowly start to open. He said he tried to brush it off as a breeze, rationalising that the door would come to a stop soon enough. But as my dad kept watching, the door kept opening. Finally, he heard the doorknob bounce against his closet door. And then again, and then again. My dad said that he walked into his bedroom hesitantly, and that when he stood in the centre of the room, every single hair on his body stood on end, and his arms and legs were instantly covered in goosebumps. He told me that, remembering what I said about his bedroom and not knowing what else to do, he said out loud, I don't know what in the fuck you are, but this is a house of God. Get the fuck out of my house. A minute later, he said he felt normal again and that he hasn't experienced anything since. I wonder if in that classic horror movie dad way that your dad was experiencing all these things in his bedroom and was just ignoring it or maybe had experienced all these things never put it down as paranormal and then when you said, hey, I never liked your bedroom, he was suddenly like, "Uh uh-oh. 
this is maybe a little bit more scary than I had thought so previously. I like the energy though of just going into the room, seeing the door open and just being like, okay, we're going to grab the bull by the horns here and we're going to do something about it. We're not going to stand by and watch this happen. And story number four comes from Charlie. In the home in which my parents lived before I came along, things were fairly calm, apart from a couple of little things. When they first moved in, my mum had a horrific dream about an axe man in the loft space. You know one of those dreams that you just can't shake off? Subsequently, she set my dad and my uncle up there the following day to check out what was up there, only for them to find an axe. Not a groundbreaking discovery, but it was enough to freak her right out. Things really began to kick off when I was born. Mum once told me about the occasion she dreamt that a dark shadow would be looming over my cot and I would be screaming my heart out. When she finally broke from her sleep, I would be in my cot screaming just like in her dream. Another scary thing happened in that house before I was born. My mum and my nan were stood in the living room one afternoon, talking by the patio doors by the TV set, when she was suddenly pushed. She was pushed so hard that she genuinely thought she was going to go through the glass in the door. We spoke about it recently. When I told her I'd be writing into the podcast, she said she recalled having to quickly bring her hands up to stop her smashing her face into it. She also said that no other poltergeist activity happened again as far as she can recall. I was around three or four when my parents separated. So naturally, as an already wary child that had a profound fear of sleeping alone, I would more often than not sleep in with my mum. I was always the kind of child that liked to kick their legs out of the bed and get all twisted up in the sheets. Until this night. I'd woken up in the middle of the night laid on my side, facing away from my mum and facing the wardrobes, legs flung out of the quilt. As my eyes came into focus, stood perhaps six inches away from my face next to the bed, was a tall, dark figure. In the best way I could possibly think to explain how it looked would be to describe it as a monk. It had no face, just a dark void where the head would be under the hood. Despite this being like 27 years ago now, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I rolled over to shake my mum awake and when I looked back to point at it, it was gone. Just like that, it was gone. Reassuringly, I'm not the only one to have seen this monk either. When my cousin was babysitting me one evening, she saw the figure walking down the stairs. I think she must have gotten hold of the place my parents were so that they would come straight home and she never babysat me again. She had her coat on ready to go and took off as soon as they opened the door. You know when you're by yourself and you can feel that you're being watched. This house felt like it had eyes. I'm sure my parents just thought I was being an overbearing child that had complex separation issues. But the feeling I would get when I was alone watching the TV or whatever was like something else I've never experienced. Pure chills would travel down my spine if I turned my back on an apparently empty room. I remember being sat on the sofa one evening with my mum and seeing the figure from my mum's bedroom at the bottom of the stairs watching me. I can't fully remember if I told my mum about it at the time, but I remember being too terrified to move. It was just sat there, crouched on the bottom step, peering around the banister watching me. Every time I'd look back to see if it was still there, it would be. I think I fell asleep on the sofa next to my mum that night as I was too scared to go willingly up to bed. We moved from that house to a town on the southwest coast by the time I was five-ish, and even as a 30-year-old woman, I still have dreams about that house now. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to go back as an adult. I could walk in and tell whatever's in there that it can't scare me anymore. Before I wrap this part of my experience up, 
I should probably mention that our Oxfordshire house was built directly opposite where a chapel stood in the Middle Ages. A five-minute walk the opposite side is an old rectory, and to the rear of the property was the site of an old monastery from around the same period. I am certain that whatever was in this house was a monk. I am also certain, without a doubt, that there was nothing godly about it. Its presence felt pure evil. As an adult, I cannot say I've experienced much in the way of ghosts and ghouls apart from being adamant that I saw the ghost of a nun walk across the road one night when walking home drunk. But whether or not it actually was is anyone's guess. I did once see a UFO though. We lived a five-minute walk down the road from the top floor flat of my mum's boyfriends at the time. One summer afternoon, he called us up on our house phone, one of those big white brick BT cordless jobbies. He frantically told us to go into our garden right now and to look up. In the sky, silently travelling slowly south, was a big grey metallic disc. You could unmistakably see the lights and shadows reflecting around its slightly domed top and bottom. We stood looking up in disbelief until it was completely out of view from our garden. I ran into the house and pulled up the blinds to see if I could spot it from the front, which I couldn't. I ran back into the garden where mum was still stood holding the phone to her cheek, looking around at the sky. Thirty seconds or so passed when we began to hear a rumble. Then suddenly two RAF-type fighter jets shot past our house and off towards the direction of the silver craft. We're talking back in the days of dial-up internet, and if you were really lucky, you had it on your house. So we weren't able to log online to check out if there were any reports on what we saw. But I know what we saw, and it was most definitely, without a doubt, a UFO. That UFO story is great, and I love the fact that it was at a time where you had to ring people on your landline and say, oh my god, go out into the garden and look up. You know, nowadays, just WhatsApp somebody or you're FaceTiming somebody and you're going, whoa, and, you've, and there's all these options to take pictures and videos and all that stuff. But then it was ringing somebody on their landline. And if they weren't in, they missed the experience. What a great story. Loved it. There are also so many stories around the UK of monks and nuns haunting the sites of old rectories. I wonder if any other houses or people in your in the area of that original house experienced seeing monks or nuns too because that would be really interesting because old monasteries at that time were often very big so they would have spanned a larger area than just one building so it'd be interesting to see if other people had experienced something similar on the topic of ufos if anybody's looking for a good paranormal podcast the podcast uncanny with danny robbins is very good and they have a ufo story that's told over a couple of episodes and it's really interesting i would highly highly recommend it and it delves into a really famous ufo case in the uk and also the story that we covered many moons ago about the children in zimbabwe who saw the ufo in the playground and he speaks to witnesses from both of those cases so really really interesting and well worth checking out if you are interested Thank you so much to Ellen, Anonymous, Ryan and Charlie for sending in your stories. Thank you also for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your own story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>